0: Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, this morning, we continue in our journey through the Lord's Prayer, uh, verse by verse, petition by petition. And today we come to verse 12, uh, the fifth of the six petitions or requests that Jesus teaches us to pray. You'll find the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, uh, that's on page 811. Before we hear God's word, though, let's take a moment ourselves to pray. Our Father in heaven, once again this morning, we thank you. We thank you for your word, that it is living and active. We thank you for these particular words, for this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. And we ask now that by the power of your Spirit, would you please open our eyes to see and our hearts, our ears to hear that our hearts might be changed in light of your forgiveness of us. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. So I invite you to hear the word of God, Matthew chapter 6, and I'll begin with verse 9. Jesus speaking, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive your trespasses. And this is the word of God. Well, one article on forgiveness begins this way. Forgiving people who harm us is one of the most difficult things to do in life. And the deeper the wound, the more challenging it gets. We often feel confused about what real forgiveness looks like. Are we to forgive and forget? Is that even possible? And what exactly does it mean to love my enemy? What about the person who sexually abused me? Or the boss who furthered his career at my expense? Or the spouse who cheated on me? Or the friend who lied about me and damaged my reputation? Again, forgiving people who harm us is one of the most difficult things to do in life. In fact, truly forgiving others really isn't possible unless we are living in light of God's forgiveness ourselves. You know, we all struggle to forgive, all of us. I mean, that's the very reason that Jesus has this petition in the prayer that he teaches us to pray. Because he knows that we struggle to forgive. I mean, I can think too easily of the times that I struggle to forgive. Um, I can think of times when regardless of whether it was friend or foe, the the hurt came and the next thing that followed was the anger. And it began, it would, would just eat away at me day after day after day. Sometimes I would begin praying to forgive right away. Other times it would be a while. But even in the midst of that, it seemed like my my only accomplishment was my anger, which can easily become resentment and then lead into bitterness and the hardness of heart. And so the next thing I know in those moments, I'm stuck. I feel helpless. Again, we all struggle to forgive, all of us. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray this part of the prayer. And so, as we get into the fifth petition here about forgiveness, I want to ask you a question and give you just a moment to think about it. The question is this Who in your life needs to be forgiven? Who in your life needs to be forgiven? Okay. Of the names that you thought of. Did your name come to your mind first? Because notice how this petition begins. Father, forgive us. Father, we are in need of forgiveness. Forgive us. It doesn't begin as we have forgiven. But Father, forgive us because Before it's about our forgiveness of others, it's about the Father's forgiveness of us. And so in those times when I'm struggling to forgive, the the problem is so often that I'm too focused on the person that has wronged me, that has hurt me. Or another way to put it is the problem is, is that I'm not focused on the person, capital P, who has forgiven me who has given everything, who gave his life to forgive me. And so at those times, I'm not seeing the cross. I'm not seeing my, my ongoing, present need of Jesus every moment of every day. And thus, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not receiving his daily, moment-by-moment provision for me. And So what, what am I doing? And what do you do at the, these times? Well, we jump straight to the, the second part of the petition, about us forgiving others, and we're missing the first part of the petition about the one who forgives us. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so as we unpack this part of the Lord's Prayer, let's follow the direction of the petition. God to us, and then us to others. Two phrases. Father, forgive us our debts, followed by, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So first it's about the Father's forgiveness of us, and then about our forgiveness of others. But before we go any further, I need to clarify something. I need to make a distinction, and this could be an entire sermon in and of itself, but it's just going to be a moment. But I need to make a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation, Forgiveness is the canceling of a debt. Forgiveness takes only one person. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship. Reconciliation always takes at least two people. So forgiveness and reconciliation are related, but they're not synonymous. Forgiveness may open the door to reconciliation, but it doesn't guarantee it doesn't necessitate it. Well, this sermon is about forgiveness. Why? Because this petition, verse 12, is about forgiveness. And so that's what we're going to focus the majority of our time on, though you will hear echoes of reconciliation throughout. But our focus is forgiveness. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So let's take the first phrase. Father, forgive us our debts. So it's about vertical forgiveness, about the Father's forgiveness of us through Jesus. And of course, we see right off the bat that there are two key words. They each get repeated twice, uh, just in this one verse, but the two key words being debt and forgive. Well, on studying these two words, here's here's some of what I found. So the word debt, the word translated debt in Matthew 6.12 always denotes something which is owed, something which is due, something which is a duty or an obligation to give or to pay. The word used here in Matthew's version of the prayer comes not from the religious realm of life, but from the commercial realm. In its narrowest sense, the word refers to a financial debt More widely, it refers to any social or moral obligation that is a person's duty to discharge. And then we've got the word forgive. The word forgive does not come from the religious realm either, but also from the world of commerce. At its root, it means to cancel, to wipe the slate clean, to erase numbers in a business ledger. And so when we pray this petition, we're praying, Father in in heaven, forgive us our debts. Erase from the ledger every failure of duty and love to you and to our fellow human beings. Cancel the debts that we owe to you and others. And where does our debt come from? Well, you know the answer. Our debt comes from our sin. Uh, Cornelius Plantinga, some of you may know that name, he wrote an excellent book entitled Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, A Brewery of Sin. And in that book he states this, Sin is not only the breaking of law, but also the smearing of a relationship, the grieving of one's divine parent, the betrayal of God. It is human vandalism, of God's good creation. Sin is human vandalism against God's good creation. And though all sin is not equally evil or harmful, all sin is equally wrong and damning. We're all guilty of sin, and thus all deserving of God's displeasure, His anger, His wrath which means that we're all in desperate need of God's forgiveness. And we know that forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ and through him alone. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now note that this is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus then immediately singles out for further comment. Did you notice that? Now, I read those two verses today, uh, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says this, right after he finishes the Lord's Prayer, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I mean, that's an arresting statement. Harsh, heavy. Well, of of these verses, preacher, theologian, uh, John Stott states that this certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. Or that if we're struggling to forgive, then we aren't saved. It is rather that God, in the end, only pardons the repentant, And that one of the chief evidences, one of the primary fruits of true repentance in us, one of the primary fruits of true repentance is a forgiving posture, a forgiving spirit. Now, do you remember Jesus' answer to Peter's question? I mean, it's the kind of question that I know in my heart of hearts I ask, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Just tell me so I can check it off the list and move on. How many times? And then Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. Well, that parable echoes these two verses that follow the Lord's Prayer. The parable of the unforgiving servant, Matthew chapter 18. Many of you know the story. There's a servant. He owes the king 10,000 talents. Okay, a talent... Is 20 years wages. Do the math. He owes 200,000 years worth of wages. I mean, that's a lot. 200,000 years worth of wages. And what Jesus is doing here is he's speaking in hyperbole to make a point. This is a debt that could never be repaid. And so the servant pleads for mercy and forgiveness. And the master, what does he do? He cancels the debt, and he lets the man go. And so then, on the way home, this now released servant, released of his debt, debt is canceled, he runs into a fellow servant, doesn't he? Servant owes him how much? A hundred denarii. Well, a denarius is one day's wage. So he owes about a third of a year's wages. Now, that's a significant amount of money, but a third of a year's wages... In comparison to 200,000 years worth of wages, it pales in comparison. And so the second servant, what does he do? He pleads similarly, pleads for forgiveness, but despite that plea, the first servant denies the forgiveness and demands the payment now. And when it's not paid, he has the debtor thrown into jail. Now I want to pick up Uh, In chapter 18 with verse 32 and just read these last few verses. Jesus telling this parable says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Then Jesus concludes, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, commenting on this parable, Uh, Jerry Bridges notes, of course, we're represented by the first servant who owed 10,000 talents. The first sum of money represents our moral and spiritual debt to God. Regardless of how moral and spiritual we have been, the debt of our sin is enormous, unpayable by us. And then Bridges states this, Further, the affront to God's glory by our sin is determined not by the severity of our sin, but by the value of God's glory. Let me say that again. The affront to God's glory by our sin is determined not by the severity of our sin, but by the value of God's glory. Okay, think about it this way. I I have some ink and I spill it on two different rugs. So there's now an ink spot on two different rugs. Uh, One is from Walmart, the other is a fine oriental rug. One rug costs $10, the other rug costs tens of thousands of dollars. Same act on my part, same black ink spot on both rugs. But there's a vastly different value between the two rugs, isn't there? The extent of the damage is determined by the value of the rug. Likewise, the affront to God's glory by our sin is determined not by the severity of our sin, but by the surpassing value of God's glory. You see, every sin we commit, no matter how insignificant it seems to us, is a damnable assault against God's infinite, all-surpassing glory. But the amazing news is that Jesus pays our death penalty, pays the debt we owe that our debt might be canceled, pays the death penalty for our assault of God's glory so that those debts are canceled, wiped clean fully and finally. Well, Bridges concludes, the basis of our forgiving one another is the enormity of God's forgiveness of us. We are to forgive because we have been forgiven so very much. And until we recognize and acknowledge that we are the 10,000 talent debtor to God, we will always struggle with forgiving people who have wronged us. Father, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, let's turn for just a moment to look specifically at the second half of this petition. So the second phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So now we're talking about horizontal forgiveness. Our forgiveness of others through Jesus. And listen to how it sounds. Forgive us as we also have forgiven. As we've, in the same way, as we have forgiven. Notice that there is an assumption here. That Jesus assumes that forgiven people are forgiving people. Father, forgive us in the same way that we're forgiving others. Now think about it. If we aren't forgiving others, if we are refusing forgiveness... Can we sincerely ask our Heavenly Father to forgive us? Okay, it's, it's really, as, as it says at the end of uh, the parable of the, of the unforgiving uh, servant, that we must forgive from our heart. So it's about a heart posture. And, and our hearts, like our hands, are either open in, in a posture to receive from God and then extend to others, or they're closed and clenched, unable to receive from God in an posture of fighting one another. It can't be both. It's one or the other. In, in refusing to forgive others, Martin Luther notes that we are refusing the forgiveness offered to us in Christ. In fact, he went as far as to say that if we aren't forgiving others, then we're actually praying, Father, do not forgive me. In the same way that I am not forgiving others, do not Forgive me. Now, I want to be, be clear. No one has ever said that forgiveness is easy. It's not. A pastor friend of mine, Daryl Johnson, pointed out that yes, forgiving those who have sinned against us is not easy. It is hard, costly, painful work. And the greater the sin, the harder the work of forgiving. But forgive we must. For it turns out that the person who suffers the most when we will not forgive is ourself. Or in the words of Christian ethicist Lewis Smeed's, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and then discover that that prisoner is me. Forgiveness isn't easy. It's a step of faith, and like every step of faith, that means it requires continual dependence on Jesus, day after day, moment to moment. I'm so grateful for the man in Mark's gospel that Mark would include this man that cried out to Jesus, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And you see, if forgiveness is a step of faith, and we can pray the very same thing in that step of faith. Father, I forgive, but help my unforgiveness. Well, as we've already said, forgiving others who harm us is one of the most difficult things to do in life. And truly forgiving others really isn't possible unless we are living in light of God's forgiveness ourselves. And so what must we do? we must continually cling to the cross of Jesus. We must continually cling to the cross of Jesus. Again, my friend Daryl, Jesus Christ has grabbed hold of all our sin and taken it to the cross. And by his blood, he has canceled it all. The one who teaches us to pray so boldly Father, forgive us our debts. Is the same one who takes our debts upon Himself, goes to the cross, and dies to erase the ledger. And so we continually cling to the cross of Jesus, forgiving as we've been forgiven. Let me end with this, Corey Ten Boom. Uh, many of you are familiar with that name. Uh, Coryton Boom uh, witnessed and experienced the very worst of Nazi Germany: the torture, the abuse, the exploitation, humiliation, personal violation, the murder. Well, she was a, a Dutch Christian living in Holland with her family uh, during World War II, and her family hid Jews to protect them and, and help them to escape to hid Jews from the Nazis. Well, Corey, her sister Betsy, and her father, they, they were found out, they were arrested, and they were sent to concentration camps. Her sister and father both died in those camps. Corey survived. And after the war, Corey began to travel around the world as an ambassador of the gospel. She traveled to over 60 countries in her life, declaring the beauty and wonder and majesty Of God's goodness, love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness in Jesus. And yet she too, like us, knew what it was to struggle to forgive. And here's an excerpt from one of her books. It was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him. A balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, but the next it was a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor the shame of having to walk naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. You see, Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, A fine message I must say, and how good, how sweet it is to know that as you say, all our sins are forgiven, and now at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had come face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I I was a guard there, but since that time, I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me of the very, very cruel things that I did there, but, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you... Forgive me. And I stood there and could not do it. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? I mean, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out, but but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. Angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, and I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not do it. I felt nothing Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so, again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Please, give me your forgiveness. And then, struggling by faith, I took his hand. And as I took it, the most incredible thing happened From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And I cried out, I forgive you, brother. With all my heart, I forgive you. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner. Personally, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did at that moment. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. And when Jesus tells us to forgive as we've been forgiven, he gives, along with the command, the power to do so in his love. And so we too continually cling to the cross of Jesus, forgiving as we've been forgiven. Father, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Amen.